Welcome to the Slip in Atlanta Sports Podcast for the true ATL and I'm the host Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. Welcome on in to an intense version of the slip because I'm upset. I'm upset out here. We got a lot to talk about. Beano Max, thank you for the sub. Let's get it. Two months. And I'm upset out here. And I'm going to just get right into what I'm slipping on. It might be a little bit of a different kind of kind of talk show today because I'm a little bit upset. I don't want to have breaks. I don't want to go through that nonsense. I don't want to have the structure because right now, all I see are people's reactions to Julio Jones and comments made from Arthur Blank. And I think it is completely ridiculous. These people are out here are being disrespectful, they're being disgraceful, they're being untruthful, and they're quite frankly gaslighting themselves and the city of Atlanta with the bull crap that they are trying to pull. And now you'll probably be wondering, Slip, what, 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 what you talking about? Why, why, why are you so upset about people? Julio Jones left. Julio Jones called und- Shannon Sharp on undefeated new emote out. And, and talked about how he wanted up out of Atlanta. Well, that is his right to one up, up out of Atlanta. But what's not right is the reaction from the fans and thinking and being ungrateful about what he has done for the city and what he has done for this team. People are talking about how they're upset that people, um, that Oh, Julio Jones was a diva. Oh, the reason why they traded him is because Arthur Smith, the new head coach, wanted someone who was going to practice all the time. Oh, my goodness. It's just, it's just ridiculous. People are just making up these concepts. You know one of the reasons why Julio Jones probably won out of Atlanta? is because they weren't a winning team. Maybe if they put a winning product on the field, that things would have changed a little bit. But that's not what happened. To say that Julio Jones is a diva after the years of production that he put up is just unrealistic. We know that he didn't want to practice two and three times um, a week. He was a one practice guy and the rest of the time, He was resting because that's what the team needed. Now, you may be wondering what I'm talking about. Well, Jeff Schultz of The Athletic uh, recently wrote an article. um, And he was talking about the things that were going on with Julio. Or he interviewed Arthur Blank, the owner of Atlanta United, the owner of the Falcons. Um, and how the relationship with Julio deteriorated. And I thought Arthur Blank has given some pretty good quotes about what was going on and gave some pretty good knowledge about um, certain aspects of the Falcons that really kind of show um, what, what exactly happened. And here's a quote 
from Martha Blank, and I'm reading a little bit from the article of The Athletic. Hope you don't tell on me. It's easy to look back in hindsight and say, should we have done that? Look back at the Julio situation in 2019. We, being Thomas, Coach Quinn, and a player and his agent, Jimmy Sexton, were all kind of at odds with each other. We got a contract done. We felt it was a very generous contract. It made him the top paid receiver in the NFL history with $64 million of $66 million guaranteed. But for whatever reason, he felt like it wasn't sufficient respect. I don't know why he'd feel that way, but he did feel that way. And he continued on if the relationship was ever the same. No, not really. It changed, Blank said. And if you spoke to the players on the team, not that they would say anything, but I think they would tell you the same thing. He just wasn't. Look, he gave us 10 great years. He's going to be a Hall of Fame player. He was a good teammate for that period of time. But his ability and willingness to practice the way he did early in his career was different. There were some people who were in the building who had an an effect on him. He wanted out, and the last thing Coach Arthur Smith wants is a player who doesn't want to be here. And that last paragraph is the one that people absolutely just lost their mind over. I don't understand why. You're telling me that a guy who consistently put up top three in receptions, consistently put up top two in yards on a year-by-year basis, you're telling me that because of the times in the past that he didn't practice, that people are upset, that that is going to stop some people? Well, that's just absolutely patently ridiculous. The reason why Julio Jones was so effective in the past is because he managed his body effectively. You can't look at a Julio Jones situation and say, hey, he's got to practice every single day. Because when you look at the two years where they didn't manage him, he was hurt the most in 2015 and in 2020. So if we're going to look back at these times and actually look at it realistically and say, oh yeah, that's exactly how it was. Let's look at this realistically, Falcons fans. Because right now, what you're doing is you're gaslighting yourself. And you should be slipping on yourself. Because the vitriol and hate that is going towards Julio Jones and trying to call him a diva, so what if he was a diva? The man is a Hall of Famer. The man consistently put up numbers year after year week after week be damned if he didn't get touchdowns he did everything else that he needed to do you're gonna come out here and telling me that they traded him because he was a diva get out of here people don't get traded because they're a diva people don't get traded because because they don't want to practice they get traded because of their contract They get traded because they want to get out of there. And they get traded because their juice ain't worth the squeeze. And I tell you, Julio Jones is always going to be worth the squeeze. So he clearly wanted to get out of there. And the Falcons needed to cap. Now I think they still should have kept him. But to go back and think that he was traded because he didn't want to practice. After we just spent a whole 
postseason or preseason where the current coach Arthur Smith didn't play his starters throughout the whole preseason, some of your facts ain't adding up. So you got to get it real straight, Falcons fans, that if you're actually going to come at Julio Jones and talk bad about him, you better come correct because all that is just ridiculous and you better check yourself. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Bear. All right, all right. Let's get back into some Atlanta sports talk, huh? Whew. That last segment, I was a little bit worn out, but it is. we got a lot to get into today. We got to, some Braves talk. Um, you know, we got a little bit more Falcons talk that we got it into. And then, of course, um, we're going to get into a little bit of Hawks talk. There's some Hawks news. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to have my final thoughts. But, man. So, after a spectacular August, the Braves are going to have to continue on not that extreme of a pace, but they're going to have to win some games moving forward. Um, Because right now they're going through, like I mentioned last week, they're going through a stretch of games where they're going to need to win. Um, Now, they lost two to the Yankees. uh, Two close games. I think they played them pretty well, but I wish they would have done a little bit better. Um, But, you know, that's kind of what it is right now. Um, So hopefully, I'm hoping that that's going to get a little bit better. Um, They went back home, or they stayed at home, and they won two out of three to the Giants, who have the best record in the MLB. And that was a huge series win. I think that's something that's going to establish them as a team that can be dangerous in the playoffs. And that's what you want to see from the Braves. That You want to see them compete and show that they're a team that can hang around. And that's the worrisome part about what's going on now. Um, currently, they're playing the Dodgers, and they just lost two straight games to the Dodgers. One, I feel like they should have won. Uh, they had chances on base, and they didn't capitalize on that. Um, and the Dodgers were a team that were able to capitalize. They wasted a great start by Charlie Morton, who went six innings of one-run ball. When you're talking about facing a team like the Dodgers, that's the kind of outing that you got to have. And the offense has not come up and shown up for those things. The night before, they were shut down by uh, Julio Urias, for six innings they didn't get their first hit until like the fifth inning and then they they exploded for three solo home runs but that's not going to matter if smiley is giving up four, four home runs and five runs within that three solo home runs and a two home run home run if you're giving up those you're not giving your defense a chance to battle back and you're not letting anybody else actually give yourself a chance to win. If you're consistently giving up the long ball, and I tell you, the Dodgers are a team that's going to consistently hit the long ball, this is exactly what's going to happen. And it only makes me worry that if we are going to continue down this road of trying to make that playoff push, because right now, 
the Braves only have a two and a half game lead of, of the Phillies who've been playing some pretty good ball against some bad teams. The Braves have to go through this stretch and battle a little bit harder. They have to be able to win these games. And it's not it's not a disappointment to lose two games in a row to the Dodgers. However, it would be a disappointment if they get swept by the Dodgers. Because that's them not doing what they need to do to take care of their business. I said this a couple episodes ago. You win a third of the games, you lose a third of the games. It's the other third that matters. Now, if you're facing a top team on the road and you lose two games, okay, don't get swept. That's how you keep yourself on top of the division race. That's what keeps you going towards that playoffs. You cannot get swept on the road. You got to at least win one. And that's going to keep you moving. That is the winning baseball. Braves don't need to have a 700 record throughout to try to um, do their best. However, what they do need to have is a at least a 550 record here on out, which means that you're consistently winning series. And if they're able to consistently win series and hold on the road, that's going to make them into that playoff push. But I tell you what, Smiley, Smiley's in trouble. Because right now, they're talking about, are we going to go and use a, a six-man rotation? Well, as I see it right now, Smiley's the odd man out. Tuki Toussaint who was out for most of the year with a shoulder injury, has come back and showed to be a formidable and above-average starter. Now, although Smiley has gone 14 or 15 starts in a row without a loss, it's not like he was pitching phenomenally through that stretch. I think he had some really good games throughout that stretch. I also think he got lucky a lot of those times. Some of those fly balls were not being converted into home runs. Some of those were staying in the park. However, as you've seen over his past two starts, he's been giving up more home runs than he had. And if most of your runs are coming off the home run ball, you really have to question, hey, am I tipping my pitches? Am I making competitive pitches? And it's not that I don't think he was tipping his pitches, as he said in uh, a post-game interview. He was just throwing the ball down the plate. When you look at the home run tracks against Muncie, against Will Smith, and Mookie Betts, three of the people that hit home runs off of Drew Smiley, they were fastballs right down the middle. Those are three professional hitters that are not going to miss that ball. And that's something that Drew Smiley has done throughout his, his time here. And it's unacceptable. He's got to do better than that. He's got to be able to strive to pitch a lot better than that. And right now, I'm worried that Drew Smiley's not going to be able to do that. So at this point, you got to look at, hey, is, is Tuki Tucson going to give us a better chance to win? Or is Drew Smiley? And right now, I think that's unequivocally Tuki Toussaint. 
he's absolutely been given the Braves a better chance to win than than Drew Smiley. Because I think Drew Smiley, he doesn't have that many good pitches. He has a fastball that gets rocked that he can't locate it. He has a plus curve that he can't use too much as a starter. And he has a cutter that he can't locate, doesn't move too much, and is absolutely a terrible pitch. It is a, it is a problem of him just missing his placement. He's not, Drew Smiley is not able to locate his pitches when he needs to. And he's leaving these balls over the plate. And these are professional hitters. They aren't going to miss these balls. They're just not. So when you, will look, when you look at him and what he's able to do and what he's not able to do, you really have to consider, is this guy going to give us the best chance? I don't think there is. However, every other brace pitcher gives me confidence. Charlie Morton just pitched great. Um, Max Freed just had the best month of his career, including a complete game shutout against Baltimore Orioles. You have Ian Anderson, who came back and looking good. Yanoa, who came back after breaking his hand for punching a bench. He's come back and doing well. You have four people who are right now looking above average. And Tuki Toussaint can round out. If you've got Tuki Toussaint being your fifth guy rather than Drew Smiley who you're looking at a guy who can or cannot give you a chance to win, you got to go with someone who's going to give you a little bit more confidence. And right now, Drew Smiley's not that guy. On the other hand, the Braves still need these guys to hit. Austin Riley, who is continuously an MVP candidate in my eyes, who I think has been a little bit more valuable than even Freddie Freeman because he's been consistent hitting. He needs to continue that. I need Dansby Swanson to heat back up. I need Freddie Freeman to do what he needs to do. He's been scuffling a little bit over the past week. These hitters need to do what they need to do. And thankfully, Ozzy Albies does not have a messed up knee after fouling a ball off of his knee. Uh, which could have been really worrisome and he couldn't even put weight on it. They're saying that he's only going to miss a couple of days. And even if he misses four or five days, that's okay. Because him missing four or five days is a lot better than him missing the rest of the year or a month where the Braves really need him for this playoff push. Now... going to be a little bit interesting to see what the Braves do because they still have another game against the Dodgers. They have another they have a four game set against Colorado and I think they still have to play the Giants at home. They have to finish a what's going to end up being a four game series against the Padres who's also scuffling and their pitching isn't as good. But they have a game a suspended game that's going to be played over at the Padres Park before their first game of that series. Those are just crucial times. And they aren't going to be able to face those opponents like the Mets or the Phillies until the end of the until the end of the, the, the month. And honestly, 
they need to make it through this tough patch at least 500 otherwise it's going to be bad news and the way that the Phillies are playing against these bad teams that's a little bit of that that rockiness that we're seeing and now I don't believe that the Phillies are going to be able to keep up this pace that they're on right now uh, which isn't totally incredible but if the Braves keep losing and the Phillies keep holding pace that's going to be bad news for the Braves however the Phillies are going to go back to playing those really good teams as well so like I said last week the Braves need to finish out this road stretch as strong as they can against these beatable teams like the Padres and like the Colorado Rockies when we come back we'll talk a little bit about the Falcons you're listening to the slip with Brandon Baird. All right, all right. Welcome back to The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher Radio. We're probably going to be on um, Amazon Podcast too because we got invited to do that. So look out for that. But, of course, it is time to get into a little bit of Falcons talk. But before we do that, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to give your boy a follow on Spotify and give me some likes on Stitcher. Um, it would be much appreciated. Now, the Falcons just finished 0-3 in the preseason. and eh, it's preseason. I don't really care about it. Um, but the final preseason game is the first preseason game where from front to back, I watched every snap. And what I came from, it was one of the most happiest I had been in terms of what the Falcons um, had shown. Um, Because Felipe Franks showed a lot of improvement where I think that uh, Felipe Franks, the quarterback out of of Arkansas, um, who was vying for the backup QB spot, he was a guy that I thought was going to be cut. After the first two preseason games, he did not look like a guy that was ready to improve. The only thing that I saw he was able to do was um the only thing that I saw that he was able to do was honestly run the ball and it's like if running the ball is the only thing that you're able to do as a QB, then you aren't a QB. And, and, and that's just the bottom line. However, he showed that he was able to move the ball. And I don't think he scored any passing touchdowns. Actually, I know he didn't because um, the other guy that we'll talk about in a second is the only person that did this preseason and actually score a passing touchdown. Um, but he seemed to be able to move the ball down the field. And that is a guy that, all right, you showed that you're able to move the ball down the field. Good. I, I feel confident and actually signing you to the practice squad. I'd I'd feel confident with saying, yeah, that's a guy that I feel like can improve. That's a guy that I think in a year or two of working under the system and learning some things from Matt Ryan would be a person I'm comfortable that if he needed to start one game, that the whole offense would not crumble. However... Josh Rosen clearly won the backup job 
over Felipe Franks. He was by far the better quarterback. He was able to move the ball down the field. He was able to throw the ball confidently. He had a quick release. He actually showed that he was able to look calm under the pressure and do what needed to be done. And that's what I saw out of Josh Rosen. And so you give him this week, you give him the beginning of next week. And what I think you will see, because both of them are still part of the 53-man roster, is that I think you'll see um, Felipe Franks cut and then signed to the practice squad. Um, because right now everybody's in a state of actually building up their practice squad. So hold on to some, some, some of those people that you want to. Cut them later and then sign them to the practice squad. That way no one can steal them from you. So, and the thing is, I don't even, Josh Rosen was not absolutely spectacular. But that's not what I was looking for. I was just looking for somebody who could actually be competent within that role. And that's what I saw out of Josh Rosen. And that's the last thing I'm going to say about the preseason or these backups. Uh, at least the backup QBs. Because quite frankly, if those QBs go down, the Falcons... If, if Matt Ryan goes down, the Falcons season is in trouble. And, and there's no simple way to put it. So let's talk about the offensive line. I don't know who the Falcons swing tackle is going to be. I don't even know who the Falcons starting guard is going to be, the left guard. Because earlier today, news broke that um, Josh Andrews, um, the guy who the Falcons signed in the offseason, who was supposed to be the starting left guard, at least for the beginning of the season, is on the IR with a broken hand. Phenomenal. All this does is make me worry about what's going to happen for this offensive line. Because quite frankly, it's not like the Falcons have the best running backs in the world. We have a guy, Mike Davis, who had a decent year in Carolina, filled in pretty well for um, Christian McCaffrey. But honestly, that's not a guy who's really shown that he can be a full-time starter over the course of the season. And it's not like he's being paid like one. But, you know, he is looking to be our starting running back, and he will be. But he's definitely a lot more effective if he's put in a system where the offensive line can block. And that's what I'm worried about. I think the Falcons have three good offensive linemen. Um, I think Caleb McGarry is average. Um... I think um, Lindstrom is above average, and I think Jake Matthews is above average. However, can two of those, if can those three people being average or above average, pick up the slack if the other two linemen aren't average? And we're also talking about one position of center where we need him to be good. Matt Hennessy is the second-year guy who is um, the incumbent center starter after uh, Mac. Um, ah, what's his name? 
after after uh, Mac left. Uh, I can't I can't I can't remember his name. My goodness, man, tip of the tongue syndrome. I can't stand it. But he went and uh, he's on the 49ers now. Um, and you know he's one of the best centers uh, of the past decade. But you know, right now, it's interesting. I don't know what the Falcons' offensive line is going to look like, and that does not bode well. Thank you for the sub, Mitch. I really appreciate it. That does not bode well for for Matt Ryan. It doesn't bode well for the for the running game, and we need a running game in Atlanta. We need, um, uh, we need Matt Ryan to be protected to get it downfield to Calvin Ridley. We needed him protected to get it downfield to Cal Pitts to make Russell Gage a bigger option in this offense. And all those things are all possible if Matt Ryan has the time. And that's quite frankly what I'm worried about. And what I'm going to consistently be worried about if they're not going to be able to protect him. Now, I told you last week that the one thing that I wanted to see out of the Falcons in this in this last preseason game is that I wanted I wanted Cal Pitts to get one catch. And now one of my boys made fun of me. He was like, "Hey, you you." Kyle Pitts actually made a catch, and you acted like he he scored a touchdown. It's because I was that excited. I was happy for the guy. I mean, he's a guy that came in, and I just wanted him to make one catch and to go to the sideline. And that's what happened. And quite frankly, what he did is catch a ball out in the flats and then turn it upfield for 25 yards. Your tight end didn't do that all preseason. It gave me a glimpse of the explosiveness that can be um, from from Kyle Pitts. The man is just going to be a monster. And I saw an infographic today that apparently Kyle Pitts has the longest wingspan out of any tight end drafted in the past like two decades. That's wild. The dude does not look like a tight end. And I don't think you should look at him as a tight end. Because what his position is, is ball catcher. And weapon. And that's what makes me excited about this Falcons offense. Kyle Pitts is a weapon. Calvin Ridley is a weapon. Cordero Patterson is a guy that can use his speed in various ways. And I think Russell Gage is going to make a a certain leap. I'm not expecting him to be some 1,000-yard, 100-catch guy. But what I do think he'll be able to do is be a 50-catch, 800-yard guy. I think that is completely within the realms of possibilities for a guy like that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. But you know, next week, um, and I've said this before, next Wednesday, that's when the real Falcons preview is going to happen. And we're going to have my brother, Mike Clayton, up on there. And it's going to be a lot, of, a lot, a lot of fun. 
So make sure y'all tune in next week. Um, but that's why I got for some Falcons. This is The Slip with Brandon Baird. Last week, NFL player Isaiah McKenzie was fined by the NFL due to lack of following the COVID protocols that the NFL has implemented. He posted the memo on Twitter with the caption, They got me. At NFL, you win. And it made me think, what could he have done to possibly avoid these fines and actually do what he needs to do? And it just made me think that these players who aren't getting vaccinated have a lack of culpability for the consequences of his choices. Am I surprised? No. Am I disappointed? Always. It comes down to this. If you do not get vaccinated, there are certain rules that you have to follow. And if you're going to be unwilling to stay safe within that, because studies have shown that there's a certain effectiveness when you need, when you have the vaccine. And the NFL, to make sure that they're covering their ass, they need you to do the right thing. It was relieving of me when... Isaiah McKenzie showed that he finally got the first vaccine for the COVID. And it just makes me think, what changed other than getting fined to make him get the vaccine? And it really makes me think that these people really do not care about what happens unless their money is affected. This has been The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATLian. I'm the host, Brandon Barrett. You can follow me on Twitter, at Barrett underscore Slip. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. We'll talk next week where we have the Falcons review. Y'all take care. Don't slip.